Good morning, Brookview, and those of you that are in person, those of you that are watching from home. Um, I'm not with you today. I'm actually in Idaho with Brooklyn, and she has a basketball tournament, so we're just enjoying a girls' weekend together. Um, I am here at church filming before we leave town, so right. just in case you are confused. What? It's Friday. Oh, it's Friday. Thanks, Jason. Jason's with me. Uh, I probably miss him by now. All right, so announcements for this week. Um, we've been traveling around to different life groups um, throughout this past month and just kind of hearing stories about um, the way that you guys are serving needs in the community and talking and just, there's just been great synergy. It's been super fun. Um, but one of the things that we've talked about is our partnership with the Nourishing Network and specifically the food deliveries. And there are some really cool stories about those people um, at Brookview, Brookviewers who have been delivering food and meals to families in need during this time. Um, a couple of things that have, that have kind of been highlights, I guess. Um, Ann Herbig was talking about how when she delivers food, there's a couple of places where she's like, people live here. It's a motel that she's delivering to with teenage kids every week. Um, there's another house where it's really young kiddos and they just kind of walk out to her car, march out there and help her unload things. And they're so excited to be getting food. Shane Huffaker talked about um, a drop off that he had and um, he knocked on the door and was walking away and he heard from the inside, lunch is here! Just, just like so cute. And he thought they would be so excited about the food that they'd just grab the box, go in and eat their lunch. Um, but they screamed um, as, as he was headed to his car, thank you. So I just wanna say thank you to all of you that are doing that, that are stepping into people's lives in that way. It is really, really cool. Um, we just wanna make you aware as well that there's still a huge need for those delivery drivers. And those deliveries happen Wednesday or Thursday mornings. Of course, if you wanted to both, you could. Um, you can pick up at Edmonds Woodway High School anywhere between nine and noon. And then Andrew, who is the Nourishing Network coordinator, he puts together a one hour delivery route for you. If you repeat deliveries, he'll give you the same route and you'll get real efficient at it. And it's possible that it wouldn't take you quite an hour to do as you kind of get better at it. So if you are able to volunteer in that much needed way, um, would you text the word delivery to the Brookview number? You can also fill out your online communication card or email us at brookviewchurchbriar at gmail.com. Um, you do need to sign up by Sundays for that delivery route Wednesday and Thursday because Andrew needs to be able to get the food service workers um, information that they need to get everything packaged in together for you. Um, boxes aren't real heavy, um, but there's there's a few of them. So, um, okay, so thank you in advance um, for anyone who's willing to do that. And then just a huge thank you for those of you that have been showing up in that way throughout this past year. Easter at Brookview, we are getting really, really excited for. Um, we're gonna have two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. 
At the nine o'clock service, we are gonna have a kids program, which will include teachings, just kind of that um, old way that we used to do things and we wanna invite kids to come and enjoy Easter with their Berkeley family again. And then at 11 o'clock, we will have babysitting, childcare, a movie for kids. Um, if you happen to be serving at a service and you need your kids to go to both, that is absolutely okay. We are looking for um, some kids church workers, and if that might be you, would you reach out to us and let us know that you'd be available? I've gotten a few RSVPs from a few of you, and I'm really excited about that, and I don't think that we'll have trouble staffing that program next door at 9 a.m. So excited to see our kids in the building again and engaging with you and with God. And kind of, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, I even have crafts. Okay. Also on Easter, if you're in a spot where you're feeling like, yeah, I'm just not ready to come to church in person yet, that is okay. But if you feel like also you'd like to get out of the house a little bit and have some sort of a community aspect to your Easter, um, we want you to know that we're going to hold some parking spaces here for you. In front of the downstairs building, we have a strong Wi-Fi signal and you can bring whatever device you want and watch from the comfort and um, cleanliness of your car. <laughs> Um, and so if you have kids coming, we'll have little bags for them um, to kind of help them uh, pass the time a little bit and just feel special in some way. So if you would like to do that, we would love for you to RSVP so we can give you the Wi-Fi password that you'll need for that morning. So how do you RSVP for Easter? Since we need you to RSVP for everything, the nine o'clock, the 11 o'clock service, the kids program, the childcare, as well as that parking space. And you go to brookviewchurch.com forward slash church. And um, that will just, you kind of scroll down and you'll see all the Easter services, click on the appropriate one and RSVP for those. And um, you will notice, seriously. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm not gonna start over. I'm just gonna roll with it. Um, you will notice on the RSVP for church in person, and um, some guidelines have changed a little bit in the way that we can gather, and we are allowed to sit two households together. So I might be able to sit with Joey and Sophie Bowie, that sort of thing. If you are not comfortable with that, there is no shame in that, and um, we want to know that. We want to make this space something that's comfortable for you. And so if you would rather not sit in two households together, just indicate that on your RSVP. Also on that RSVP, we will ask you if your service time is flexible. And that way we can reach out to you the week of and let you know if one of our services is really full and we need to make some room by having some people go to another one. So hopefully that's all really easy, self-explanatory to do as you RSVP for church. And um, we're excited to see RSVPs coming in um, as we plan for Easter. Next Saturday, March 27th, from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m., we're gonna have what we're calling a spring clean. Um, we just wanna get our outside and our inside in tip-top shape. 
Um, and it would just take a lot of work for me or Jason to do that on our own. And so we're wondering if we could just kind of engage our Brookview Army to help. This is a kid-friendly day, and so if you want to bring your kids to help, we would love for you to do that. Um, we have all sorts of different things like spot cleaning carpets, lint rolling, the chairs that are in here, dusting, sweeping, um, mopping floors, and then on the outside we have weeding and bark and leaf blowing, the parking lot and pressure washing and all sorts of different things. So there's a variety of things and there's plenty to get done, probably a longer list than we'll be able to do, which is okay. Um, but if you can come to that, we would love to have you. Um, we are going to be providing a lunch that you can eat kind of in a communal way or all by yourself, whatever is comfortable for you. You don't even have to eat if you don't want to. Um, but because we are going to serve some food and we would like to know kind of who's going to be here, we would love it if you would RSVP for that. The way that you do that is to go to your online communication card um, and there's a, a scroll down that says I'm interested in this spring clean and it tells us how many people you'll be bringing with you. You can also text the word spring to our Brookview number and that will kind of give you a direct link to signing up for that as well. Um, online communication card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Um, it is at brookviewchurch.com forward slash contact and um, we love hearing from you. So for those of you that fill that out, we appreciate it. We know that there are times where you're just simply putting your name and we know that you were there watching with us and that's really cool to see. So um, we just really like that, like hearing from you. Specifically can of hands, love that. Um, I have a cool story and I'm gonna wrap up um, with this story. This past week, as many of you know, I got to go to Cedar Way and um, do our food delivery there. And um, thank you to everyone who you were just so generous with supplies this month. And um, a few months ago, probably about four months ago, um, and I, I think I might have mentioned this at church even, there are a couple of food service workers there, and one of them in particular, she was just kind of sharing with a joy-filled spirit about how thankful she is for this season of wearing masks because she's gone through chemotherapy because of cancer and um, it weakened her teeth. So she has a bunch of broken teeth and some of them are missing. And so she just loves that there are masks because then no one asks questions and she doesn't have to feel embarrassed. And um, that was, a little heartbreaking for me and I kind of sat on it for a while and finally decided okay time to act and um, I made a phone call to Heidi Sullivan who acted promptly she got all sorts of research done for me and she committed to selling some candles to help raise money for this woman's teeth and um, kind of let her she works for the Edmonds School District so she let district employees know hey do you want to help one of our own out um, and so we found out that the cost of a full set of dentures for her is $2,850. And we began to just kind of fundraise for that. So I reached out to our Brookview family, to those of you that said, hey, I can help, or I want to help, or I want to be made aware of needs that there are as a result of this COVID season. Um, so if you're on that list, you got that email and kind of explaining what we were hoping to do with these dentures for this woman. 
Um, and then I also reached out to those of you that have been donating um, food items to Cedar Way. And so by, I did that on Friday and by Monday, I knew that there was enough money there to be able to move forward and that this woman was gonna get to have tea and we are fully funded on that. And I'm just so thankful for that. So I got to share the news with her on Tuesday. And so um, I just kind of was working side by side with her and um, didn't make a big deal about it. I just said, hey, I could not get it out of my mind, this reality that you are thankful that you have your mask in because of you know the dental work that you need. And I know masks are gonna start coming off eventually. And we just want your beautiful smile to be something that you aren't insecure about. And so we wanna pay for your teeth set of dentures for you or whatever you're going to need there and she just stopped and just started crying and the first thing that came out of her mouth was thank you no one has done something that nice for me before and um it was just a beautiful moment that i felt so privileged to get to be the messenger of this really good news for her I think of how many times in my life that someone has done that for me when I was in a tough spot. And um, so cool to be able to extend that and just kind of tell her that there's a community of people out there that care about other people and want to love them and that she's worthy and deserving of that love and that gift and that a huge thanks isn't needed. We just want to help her. Um, and so, the other food service work, worker as well was really touched by it. And she's not had an easy life either. And she was, she just pulled me aside and she was like, boy, what you're doing for her is just, it's so good. And um, they proceeded then the rest of that morning to share with me their theology about God. Things like, well, I think God causes pain and suffering and hard things in our life to teach us lessons. And so I just have to learn less. And I'm like, whoa, my theology is different than that. I think we live in a broken world and God loves you. And when you go through pain and hard things, he's not excited about that. He's not going, oh, I hope you learn. He's heartbroken with you. And they both were just kind of taken back by, taken aback by that, that thought um, because I think that's sort of a cliche thing that sometimes we say is there must be a purpose in this pain. So, um, and then they, they talked about their own church experience. I mean, it was a God-centered morning right there in the public school parking lot. And it was just a neat, neat thing to be a part of. And um, at the end, as they were talking all about God and churches and what they, they knew or didn't know, or the woman goes, one of the women says, are we allowed, we probably shouldn't be talking about this. Like, am I allowed to ask you what church you go to? And I was like, well, I don't work here. I'm just a volunteer, so I'll tell you. I go to Brookview Church, and it's the little white one on the corner of 228th and Briar Road, and um, you don't ever have to come to our church, but we certainly would love to see you there if you wanted to. Um, so anyway, just so cool, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, not just to those who donated to this, but everyone here 
who makes this a space where we can see needs in the world and meet them in tangible ways. And the reality that sometimes our physical needs are so high that it's hard to meet the spiritual need. And sometimes that physical need meeting is an open door to the spiritual. And so I just want to thank you for allowing me to step into that moment. It was an honor and a privilege and so, so beautiful. And I cannot wait to see that woman's smile. That's all I got for you. I hope, hope, hope that you have such a great morning and I will sign off to the, the message intro. How about that? Let's go. That, that'll pump you up. Um, so this morning, we are continuing in this series, The Pursuit of Happiness. And we've been looking at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians. This, this letter where the major theme is what? Joy. And so today, we're going to take uh, another look at um, the, uh, an idea about joy. And it comes to us in a verse that is really easy. If you're reading the book of Philippians, it's really easy to just kind of skim past. It's from the second chapter of, of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and here's what Paul says. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. How's that going for everybody? <laughs> now, okay, before we just skim over that, let's, let's pause and reflect on that a little bit. Do, he says, do everything without grumbling. So let's think about that word, everything. Did you, like, do you think Paul really meant that? Like, really? Do everything without grumbling? Like, is he serious? Did he really think that through? Or did he just, like, run out of stuff to say for a minute, and he's just, like, filling space on a page? Well, we, live one, we, we live our lives one day at a time. So let's just think about one day of not grumbling. What in the world would it be like to have a grumble-free day? Like, what if you decided that tomorrow is going to be a grumble-free day? Are you all really excited about this? Are you so glad you're at church today? Okay, so let's think about it. What, what would that even look like? Well, tomorrow, when the alarm goes off and you have to climb out of your warm bed, mm, no grumbling. Okay, and when you look at the first person you see tomorrow, no grumbling. And when you look in the mirror tomorrow, no matter how bad it looks, <laughs> no grumbling. 
Or if you're at school, maybe you're in person and you have to wear a mask again all day. Or maybe you're on Zoom again for how many hours this year? Or when you're home with the kids, or you're working from home, and so is your spouse, and they're kind of in your space. No grumbling. Or when you eat, whatever it is you eat, or when you get on the scale, whatever numbers you're looking at. When you face a rude or critical person tomorrow, when things don't go the way that you want, no grumbling. Now here's the challenge. Paul says, do everything without Grumbling. So what if tomorrow you committed to a grumble-free day? Here's the truth. I don't think most of us can even imagine that, honestly. In fact, I think, I think that most of us probably have some pushback. Okay, don't admit it, but you know you do. Because we wonder things like, well, wait a minute. Whoa, hold on, Paul. Aren't I allowed to be frustrated? Like, isn't it right to complain and, and grumble about certain things? Like, is, is grumbling even a big deal? Like is, it, like, is it a sin? Okay, honestly, some of you, you know, you're, you're watching right now, or you're just sitting here, and you're thinking, dude, really? You're going to focus an entire message on grumbling? That is so shallow and superficial. Can't believe I came to church today. What a waste of my time. So I, I just want to say... Hold on a minute, like, let's, let's think this through. Okay, we've thought about the word everything. Let's think about the word grumble. What does it even mean to grumble? <laughs> what are we talking, let's talk about grumbling for a minute. What, what is grumbling all about? Well, 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 grumbling, first of all, is not the same thing as confronting. I mean, very often there's injustice in our world. There's things that are wrong and, and, the, and, and stuff needs to get corrected. Something needs to get addressed. And so we have to do that. Grumbling is definitely not the same thing as confronting. Also, grumbling is not the same thing as feeling frustrated, right? Certainly there were things that were very frustrating to Jesus and we see him express his frustration a lot, right? Like in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying and sweating blood, and he'd ask the disciples to just pray with him for an hour because I'm, I'm like, I'm going to die tomorrow. But they fell asleep. And so he cuts back to them, and he says, could you, could you guys not pray for one hour? He's frustrated. Okay, but Jesus was not grumbling. Another time, he said, a wicked and perverse generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. That's frustration, but it's not grumbling. It is totally okay to feel and express frustration. Okay, so then, well, then what is grumbling? Well, well, grumbling is born out of a heart of ingratitude. It's a heart that ignores the blessings of God in my life. And it turns out that God actually takes that very seriously. For instance, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, 11 different times, the people of Israel, who God had just delivered from slavery, grumbled. Instead of being grateful for freedom from 400 years of Egyptian oppression, they grumble about the food, about not getting the comfort that they want. Rather than hearts filled with gratitude, they grumble. And we see that God was really concerned about it. 
See, grumbling is, is born out of a heart of ingratitude, and it turns out to be a big deal because the effects of grumbling inside a little community are toxic. Like in a marriage, it's toxic. In a friendship, it's toxic. In a family or on a team or in a workplace or, or a church or a life group, a, a culture of grumbling damages community. Grumbling reflects a heart posture that kills joy and kills creativity and kills celebration. And it isn't just the words that matter. It's, it's a heart posture. So when Paul says, do everything without grumbling, he does not mean, hey, so go through life with a chronically negative, grumpy spirit. Just don't talk about it. Just don't verbalize it. He's not saying that. The only way to do everything without grumbling on the outside is that on the inside, you're actually cultivating a grateful heart. And so, of course, the million-dollar question then is, well, what causes my heart to, be, to become grateful? And, and in our culture, we, we wrongly equate gratitude with gratification. We tend to think, okay, I'll be grateful to the extent that I, think, that I receive things in my life to be grateful about. Like, the more my desires are gratified the more grateful I'll become. That's how it works, right? Well, we kind of think of it like this. I mean, this is a little extreme, but it's like, okay, if God wants me to be grateful, then God should give me more things to be grateful about. <laughs> right? I mean, if, if God would just give me everything I want, then I would totally live with gratitude. Right. Question. Have you ever seen a child raised by that formula? Right? Parents that say, oh, sweetheart, we just want you to be grateful and happy and filled with joy, so we're going to make sure that you get everything your little heart desires. You just tell us, and we'll, we'll cross oceans if we have to to get it for you. Wh what do we call a child raised that way? Spoiled. Spoiled, like food gone bad, right? Good for nothing. <laughs> Spoiled. And what are the main traits of a spoiled child? Are they humility, gratefulness, and joy? Someone so filled up that they just naturally want to pour themselves out everywhere they go? No, it turns out that increased gratification doesn't produce increased gratitude. And this is why it can be so rare in this world that we live in that is so filled with negativity. Paul goes on to say this, and I think this is awesome. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And this is interesting. Paul is linking a lack of grumbling with shining like stars. In other words, in a world of negativity, people that refuse to grumble, people that don't behave as if they're entitled, people that live with humility and thankfulness are rare. And when placed inside a culture of negativity and grumbling, they actually shine. Like some of you, right, you work in workplaces where there is constant grumbling. Right? You know what I'm talking about. People are just walking around and they are looking for the next thing to complain about. Right? Like you, you walk in or you check in on Zoom or however you connect with people and you're like, how's it going, man? And they say, oh, you know, living the dream. 
Just another day in paradise. And you're like, oh, wow, are they having a bad day? No, they're like that every day, right? It's, and and, that, and that, that attitude is just contagious. A workplace can, can come to be defined by constant negativity, and so can a family, and so can a team, and so can a marriage. And guys, when you are living within that, it is so draining. A culture of negativity can just suck the life out of you, right? You just leave like a raisin, you're that, you know? So Paul says, if, if you learn to let go of, of grumbling, it can cause you to shine in a world of constant negativity and grumbling. You can actually bring hope and positivity and joy where it's absent. Okay, now I just want to say, this does not mean that Paul is saying you should walk around earth with a permagrin. How are you? Great, you know. My dog died. You know, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, but fake, like, plasticky people... They drive me nuts. Do they drive you nuts? Drive you nuts. You know what I'm talking about? Just a fake smile. They're, they pretend to be interested in you, but they're not. They pretend to be team players at work or wherever else, but they're not. They pretend to be happy, but they're not. I mean, back to Jesus for a second. Jesus felt and expressed frustration all the time. He named things that are wrong in the world. He criticized the Pharisees and other religious people. He told the disciples that he was disappointed in them when they fell asleep. And, and part of what I think drew people to Jesus was his rare authenticity. Like he didn't act like all the other religious leaders, saying all the right things, giving cliche answers to complex issues and pain in the world. When he was frustrated or disappointed or angry, he let it out. Okay, but in Jesus, there was also this deep joy, this deep gratitude about him. Jesus did not just go around grumbling. I mean, even try to imagine Jesus grumbling for a second. Like, what would that even be like? I mean, imagine Jesus is walking into synagogue one day, and someone says, Sup, Jesus? How are you today? And imagine Jesus saying, Oh, you know, living the dream. Another day in paradise. I mean... Jesus was never fake or, or plasticky, but he also didn't grumble. And, and we've all been around people that live with genuine gratitude, and they've experienced plenty of hard things, and yet they don't grumble. And it's not that, that they're angry, bitter people that are pretending to be nice. It, it, it's not that they're sad people that are pretending to be happy. They just seem to have a genuine love of life. The real question is, how do you and I, how, how do we move toward that? Well, Paul goes on to describe how this works. Toward the end of his letter to the church at Philippi, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Okay, so Paul was in prison for, for following Jesus, and they did something very special for him. And what he's referring to is that the Philippians had sent Paul financial support. And in his letter, he wanted them, the letter of Philippians, he wanted them to know how grateful he was. In fact, the entire book of Philippians is basically a really extensive thank you note. Okay, but Paul is going to make this thank you a kind of a teachable moment. He doesn't want them to, to misunderstand where his gratitude actually comes from. So talking about his gratitude for their gift of support, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here comes a very well-known verse. I can do everything in the face of any situation through him who gives me strength. In other words, Paul says contentment or gratitude is not something I experience if I get enough of what I want. If I get enough gratification, if my circumstances go well enough, contentment is actually a learned skill. It's an acquired mindset. I have learned the secret of being content, he says. And this brings us to one of the great paradoxes of gratitude. Have you guys ever noticed that very often it's the people who've had the least, who've been in circumstances of great want or need, who experience gratitude the most? And very often, people who have the most are the least grateful. A guy named Sean Aker is a leading researcher from Harvard in this whole field of of happiness. And um, he tells about one time he'd been studying and teaching on happiness at Harvard, and he was invited to present in Soweto, South Africa. So he went to this school in Soweto, and it was shockingly impoverished. And it occurred to him, as he was standing in front of these students looking at them in their poverty, that talking about Harvard and talking about elite Harvard students and their lives might not connect so well with these students in Soweto. So he decided to try to bond with them over something that he thought was universal, the dislike of homework and the dislike of schoolwork and having to go to school. So he started with a rhetorical question to build rapport with his audience. And he said, how many of you like to do schoolwork? Immediately, 95% of them shot their hands shot up in the air. They're like, oh, yeah, isn't that cool that we get to do that? And he realized that Harvard students, okay, the elite, the best of the best, the brightest of a generation, the cream of a crop, those given every advantage and every opportunity, he realized that what they experience as a stressor and a burden to bear, oh, poor me, at here at Harvard, I have to write these papers and, and I have to read these books and take these tests and I'm, I'm living with all this demand and pressure on me, God help me. These other students who had infinitely less, didn't have enough food, didn't know if they were even going to be able to grow up, they experienced the opportunity to learn as an incredible gift. I get to read. I get to learn. I get to discover. I get to find out. I get to write papers. I get to get tested on all this stuff to find out if I've actually learned it. I will have open doors to me that my mom or dad, who might not be alive anymore, never even dreamed of. So, oh man, who likes homework? Me, 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 me. I am so thankful for it. What some people perceive as a right, other people perceive as a gift. Two groups of students are asked a question. One grumbles, and the other says, I am so grateful. What some people perceive as a right, other people see as a gift. And there's a fantastic story about gratitude in the the Gospel of Luke. I I love this. It says, talking about Jesus. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. 
They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this, this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, you guys, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm guessing here, okay, but I have to imagine, if you stopped any of those other nine guys and you asked them, hey, are you grateful for what just happened to you? I have to imagine they'd say, are you kidding? Of course I am. Of course I feel grateful. But only one of them turned around. Only one of them took the time to come back. Only one of them threw himself at the feet of Jesus and said, Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Which leads me to an important thought. There is a huge difference between feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude. This is one of the reasons that nobody actually imagines that they themselves are guilty of ingratitude. Okay, well, if we make a list of shortcomings about ourselves, you, make, you could make your own list of shortcomings. You have some. You're aware of them. And we might say that we lie sometimes or we cheat or we lust or something. And we easily recognize those kinds of things. But we tend to, to really not see ourselves as ungrateful. See, if somebody comes to me and says, Jason, you're ungrateful. What I do is I think of all the times that I have felt grateful. All the times... You know, something good has happened to me, and I've felt gratitude, and I'm like, ungrateful? No way, man. You don't know me. I feel great, well, grateful a lot. I feel grateful all the time. I am, I'm like so grateful. I'm like the picture of gratefulness. And, and that might be true. The problem is that people in your life experience unexpressed gratitude as ingratitude. And this is especially true with the people closest to us, like our spouses, our parents, our kids, our roommates, the people that we could have a tendency to really take for granted. Imagine your spouse fixes you a meal or runs an errand for you, and if somebody asked you, you'd say, well, of course I feel grateful. But when you don't say it, what the other person experiences is ingratitude. Ten guys healed, one guy comes back, and he's a Samaritan. Now, that is not a pointless detail in the story, because the Samaritan feels even more undeserving of this than the rest. He's like, I, di I didn't merit this. I had no right to it. Why? Because there were deep racial tensions between Jews and Samaritans in the first century. Maybe think of, of like Jews and Muslims in some parts of the world today. Okay, imagine that. So a Samaritan would never expect a Jewish rabbi to help him. He's like, why, in the, why would a rabbi help me like a Samaritan? But Jesus, you, you healed me as if I was one of your own. So I can't just go on with my life. I have to stop and go back. I can't let another moment go by. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Ten men are healed. One guy comes back. And Jesus says, 
Okay, where are the other nine? No one else bothered to come back? And that's the point. It's not enough just to feel gratitude. Because the problem is that people in your life experience unexpressed gratitude as ingratitude. So here's an obvious question that you've all seen coming. We need to do a little self-evaluation and ask ourselves, am I taking the time and effort to express my gratitude? Do the people in my life really know how grateful I am? Am I taking the time to express it so that they feel it? Because guys, just like grumbling is toxic and damages community, gratitude infuses life into community every time. A marriage filled with gratitude between spouses is a place of joy. A work environment filled with gratitude is completely different than one that has no gratitude. A team where, where players really value each other, where they continually express authentic gratitude for each other, totally different than a team that's just grumbling about each other. When kids are grateful for their parents and express it, oh man, when parents are grateful for their children and express it, when a church is grateful for its pastor. Yeah. That's, that's begging for a compliment right there. That's... And when a pastor is grateful for his church and expresses it, Okay, you guys, I, I have to get, like, sappy for a minute. Uh, I'm going to take a long ways to get, a long while, the roundabout way to get to this, so hang with me. This, this past year has been insufferable for pastors. Um, it has. Like, trying to lead a church that can't gather is really, really hard. And then on top of that, you throw in all the other tensions, like the polarizations around COVID safety. Not everybody feels the same. The racial tensions around BLM and racial injustice. And again, not everyone sees it the same. An election cycle that was as polarizing as any I've ever experienced. Like trying to unify and lead a church family in the midst of all of this has been crazy. To, to help people be a community for one another when they're all in isolation. Trying to help people navigate a crazy social media culture trying to help friends stay friends, trying to keep a church together and unified has been really hard. Uh, I'm in this small network of pastors, and we, we meet together once a month. And as we gather, I would hear what they're going through in their churches with their people. And you guys, it helped me to see what a gift you guys are. Oh, my goodness. I, I, like, going into those gatherings, I was like, oh, COVID and this cultural moment are so hard. <laughs> it wasn't grumbling because I never verbalized it, you know, but. <laughs> so don't accuse me of sin. Uh, but then I, I, would, I would, like, meet with my pastor friends, and I'd, I'd come away from that thinking, oh, God, I'm so thankful for Brookview. For my church family that is actually a family, I am so thankful. And I, I have expressed this to, to some of you in bits and pieces in different places, but I, I don't want to just feel thankful. I, I need to express it. Um, 
when I would meet with my friends, I, I would come away and I would be like, holy smokes. I mean, they were, they were getting verbally assaulted by their people every week. I, one friend could hardly respond to all the emails and the meetings. Just huge numbers of people lashing out at him in anger. So we met back in June for a little barbecue with all these guys, you know, to celebrate. And you guys, he looked like death. He, like, he looked like he had aged 15 years. It was heartbreaking. He looked like he just wanted to go lay down and curl up in the fetal position. And when I heard all that he was going through, I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. I mean, he was surrounded by so much grumbling about everything. Let me just give you some examples. And I'm not making this stuff up. Stuff like he would hear from his people, Pastor, you cannot let King Inslee tell us that we cannot gather. This is a pagan governor preventing us from exercising our religious freedom and rights. And if you don't stand up to that evil and persecution, you don't have a backbone. You don't serve Jesus. And I can't go to this church anymore. I had my doubts about you, but now it's confirmed and I'm out of here. Okay, and then he had the opposite. Pastor, this pandemic is killing hundreds of thousands. And the only way to mitigate it is to not gather. So if you allow people to gather and you encourage it, you are risking people's lives. This is not what Jesus would do. Jesus healed people and he protected people, remember? If you don't do a better job of preventing people gathering, you aren't willing to stand up to those that are bullying you. You're weak and you're heartless and you're putting people's lives at risk in the name of the church. You're a hypocrite. I thought you were wiser and better than that. I'm out of here. Okay, and then there was George Floyd and BLM and the protests. Pastor, we need to get behind BLM with everything we are as a church. This is the chance of a generation to engage in the cause of social justice and take a step forward toward racial equality. And if you aren't going to rally our church around this, then your silence is complicity. You're a racist. So while I've had doubts about you in this church for quite some time, I now see your true colors shining through, and I'm out of here. And of course, the opposite. Pastor, if you even mention BLM and George Floyd, I'm out of here. Because this is just a ploy from those on the extreme left to generate revenue for their cause. It's not racial, it's political. And if you get duped into supporting it in any way and try to pull our church into that, I cannot continue going to this church. Wait, you're talking about it? I knew it. You are a closet liberal. I'm out of here. Okay, and then I won't even go into the whole election cycle tensions that he got with all of that. More people wounding him with their words. You guys, nobody was happy. Nobody's happy. To say nothing was wrong, but to say anything alienated people. I mean, it was absolutely a no-win situation as far as trying to create unity goes. So we're meeting, and he says sympathetically to all of us, he's like, man, this season's crazy. He's like, it's crazy. Is it, is it crazy? It's crazy. And he's got crazy eyes. He's like, it's crazy. He's like, man, don't you guys just cringe when you hear the notification sound for an email or text, doesn't it? Just, he's like, and he's joking around, and he said, you know, when I hear my email or text notification, it makes me twitch. And he was like, you guys know, right? Like, we're all in this together, right? And I was like, uh, no. Like, I don't, I don't know at all. And I mean, like, I felt for him for sure, and I felt for the other guys 
But I, I could not relate to all the hostility they were facing at all. In fact, I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, I was like, wow, dude, you are so much tougher than me. If I had to endure what you're enduring, I would be in a mental hospital and probably out of ministry. Because I'm like, I'm way too fragile to be able to handle any of that. <laughs> Seriously. Thank God God gave me you guys because I would, I, I would be done cooked if I was at his church. I mean, thank God I'm at Brookview with people that love me and support me. Thank God. I mean, what a gift. So while my friend was getting one hot email and text after another, we had Emily Cowan reach out to the life groups and the ID group leaders, and she's like, hey, guys, um, this is a really tough season of ministry. Would you, like, rally your group to write encouraging notes of gratitude to Jason and Jen and Casey and then just, like, shower them with gifts? And so you guys, you did that. You absolutely poured out gratitude. And it, I'll tell you what, it was a big deal to us. I, I told my friend how good you guys are, and he punched me in the face. <laughs> he was like, he's like, well, that's nice. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> but you guys, the outpouring just carried us, and it mattered. Um, let me just, I just want to share one example of one note that we got, and these are just sweet, life-giving words from Janet Vickers. Okay, she writes, Jason and Jen, thank, thank you for how you invest in my family. And by the way, Casey got, and Kaylin, they got their own stuff. Um, I'm not going to read yours, I'm going to read mine. <laughs> but Janet says, thank you for how you invest in my family and this wonderful Brookview community. We're a year into remote school and isolation from family and friends. I'm so thankful Dave and I were a part of ID groups this past year. I'm thankful Sydney is part of the middle school group. We have watched her blossom and engage, and it has been a critical social network for her. Your sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount helped us navigate some tough times. Last spring, when I joined your online group, it made me feel part of a community when things were not going well at home. It helped me stay present and work towards approaching my day with open hands. I leaned into my relationship with Jesus rather than putting it all on my shoulders. Over time, our family of four has drawn closer together, and I hope we're teaching our girls how to be resilient. Jen gave a message on conflict management, and it inspired me to have some critical conversations at work, which shined a light on the dysfunction and is leading to some changes. I'm learning to release my grip on trying to control the uncertainty and instead trust Jesus. This has been a year of growth for my family, and Brookview is a big part of that. Your investment and dedication to the Brookview community is greatly appreciated. Janet. You guys, that is quite a different feel from the note that my friends got. And you guys, so many of you did that same kind of thing. Like so many, like if I just stood up here and read them all, we would be here for like four hours. And I cannot go forward without telling you guys what a gift it was. What a gift you all are to me. So Emily, thank you for organizing that. Now, I'm not going to stop there. I have a couple of other shout outs. Have you guys noticed the brick wall behind me? It looks good. It's still in process. It's still in process, but it looks, it looks good. And I have to thank uh, Rick Bates, okay, Rick Bates and Shane Huffaker, and then Rick's friend Craig, because they came over and installed it this week. And I also have to thank Alicia for spending hours and hours and hours alongside Jen painting it. 
I have to thank Brian Durr for being here every week improving the sound. And not just getting it like dialed in the room, but also online. And that's a tricky thing to do, to make it sound good in here and out there at the same time is tricky. Um, and so, dude, you are, you're stinking slaying it. So can we just like give him a shout? Let's go. And then David Vickers who has taken video productions to a totally different level. There's lighting and multiple cameras, and he's working the media slides into the video in very creative and excellent ways. And by the way, the goal is not to, for like me to become an internet sensation. <laughs> Opa Gungam style. You know, like, it's, it's, to, it's to give people watching from home... Um, you know, like the best experience, like trying to help those of you that are home feel like you're actually here with us. And Dave has made it so much better these past few months, by the way, with like without spending any money. I mean, like it's, you know, we're talking like a couple hundred dollars is that's it. Um, so can we give Dave like a deafening shout? Let's go. And then last one, um, Trevor Gray that young punk who runs the village, and he was supposed to be here today, and he's having breakfast with his sister and his aunt. But I just want to say, which, by the way, which camera are we using right now? Which where should I, I should be looking over there? I love, oh, right here. I love having to ask that, by the way. Dude, you are serving kids and families in ways that cannot be measured. So... We just want to say thanks because, dude, you are so good at what you do. You're so gifted, and you could probably make more money driving for Uber. <laughs> and I'm sure God would use you there, too. I can't imagine the evangelism ministry there, but, but thank you for what you're doing. And I just want to say, man, my kid has been so blessed. So for anybody who has some appreciation for Trev, can we give him a shout? Okay, you guys, I could go on and on. I could, and, um, but I'm going to stop there for today. So let me just wrap this thing up. Bottom line, gratitude is powerful. And so let me ask you a really important and very personal question. Who are the people you need to stop and thank? If your parents are still around, maybe you need to thank them. Or when this service is done and you get in the car and if you're married, guys, you like look her in the eye and you touch her on the arm and you smile and you tell her, sweetheart, thank you. Thank you for whatever it is. And you just fill in that sentence however you want. Now maybe you're thinking, well, I have to wait because if I do that today, <laughs> she'll say, well, no, you're only doing it because of the sermon. But if I wait, she'll think it was my idea. I just say, hey, whatever you got to do, man, you know, be strategic. <laughs> or like maybe you think of a friend, an old friend that walked with you or a teacher or a mentor, or maybe, maybe someone just carried you through a really difficult season. They just carried you through it. And, and you, you go, yes, I feel so grateful, right? But have you expressed it? And maybe you want to write a letter or send an email or just take them out to lunch or, uh, you know, maybe just tell that person how your life is different because of them, how their kindness has affected you. And, okay, one final thought. Just a thought about all the gifts 
that we get from God. I was thinking this week about, about the importance of like regular worship, of designating regular time just to praise and thank God. In James, uh, we're told this. James writes, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every gift is from above. It's not random. And when I think about how ridiculously blessed I am, like how could I feel entitled to anything? What what has God given to me that that I've earned, that that I deserve, that, that I've merited? Again, what some people perceive as a right, other people see as a gift. And the truth is, you guys, I, here's what I believe. I believe all of it is a gift. It's all a gift. And, and here's the thing. It's, it's not just like the gift of Mother Universe, okay? It's a gift from my Father in heaven. Why? Because he's kind to me. My health is a gift. My wife is a gift. My kids are a gift. My car's a gift. My house is a gift. My clothes are a gift. Are they not a gift? Yeah, and by the way, did you see the way that, like, the whole worship team and me, Matt, and Rebecca, and we're all, like, just happen to be coincidentally coordinated with the whole purple thing, and it matches the wall. You know, like, this church is a gift, and my, my friends have all been a gift, all of them. God's forgiveness is a gift. I mean, like, how many times have I run from God and just kind of headed to the far country to do things my way? And yet every time when he sees me start to turn toward him, he leaves his house and he comes running with open arms. I mean, his patience and his grace are a gift. My education is a gift. Every opportunity that I've had has been a gift. And the fact that I live in this time, in this place, in the land of freedom, in the land of opportunity, that is all just a pure gift. I didn't earn that. I'm not entitled to any of it. Nothing. Now, I can live only praising God when he gives me everything I want. Or I can live praising God every moment from a genuine place of gratitude. Because everything I have that's good is more than I deserve. And here's what I'm discovering again and again. Joy comes most when I stop living like an entitled, spoiled little brat. Wait, why are you wooing? Are you wooing because I'm a, generally a spoiled, entitled little brat? I'm just kidding, James. I love you, brother. Thanks for your enthusiasm. I can choose to live grumbling about everything. I can, but there's no joy in it. There's no joy for me. There's no joy for anybody around me. And so why would I ever want that? Ever. Paul knew joy. He knew it even in a prison cell. This letter of immense gratitude was penned by a man that knew joy. And you and I are now being invited into that same joy. It's a joy that comes from seeing everything as a gift. It's a joy that is made complete when we praise the giver. And so I just want to ask you to make this a little bit more tangible and personal and kind of close this in a little bit different way today. And I want to invite Matt and Kelly to come up here and play some music and set the mood. But I just want to encourage you guys to do a a short reflection. Just write 
in your journal if you brought one, or in the notes section of your phone if you have that, or if you were given paper on the way in and a pen when you came in. And I want you to spend a couple of minutes writing something that's truly personal. To just think about God's gifts to you and offer thanks. Like as Matt and Kelly just play a little bit, just write from your heart. And here, so here are the instructions for this. For two minutes, okay, this is not going to last forever. For two minutes, would you write a note of gratitude to God for something in your life? It could be a list of many things, or you could go deeply into something in particular, as deeply as you can in two minutes. And if you want, you could just begin by saying, like, Father, or God, or Lord, or Jesus, and then just write it, like, directly to him. Fill it out from there. Dave, could we um, kill the house lights in here? And you've got two minutes, okay? you got two minutes. Here we go. One last thought as we head into worship. One last thought. Who is one person that you really are grateful for in your life? Who's one person that you are, you're so grateful for in your life? And how can you express that gratitude to them this week? Just jot that down as the worship team makes their way up. And then let's praise God together.